uh, before I say anything else. And here he comes. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, so as we haven't got a game to review, we thought we'd bring you a favourite of ours on the show and a warm welcome back to Sir Steve Coppel. Steve, how are you, mate? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you very much. Yes. On behalf of everybody at Red and Blue Review, can I offer you our sincere congratulations on becoming a granddad for the first time? Yes, uh, granddad. Uh... Um, young Finlay arrived on the 7th of January and uh, uh, see him every day by uh, uh, WhatsApp and what have you and uh, he's growing quickly and missing him already. I, so. bet, you, I, bet, I bet you can see you can see a difference in him already. Can't you? Oh yeah, every day, every day he's uh, yeah just growing so quick. I didn't realise from memory, but obviously my own, you just can't remember it being that rapid. But he's. Uh, Laughing and joking now, smiling. Is he going to be a footballer soon? You know, can you see any early signs of a promising career ahead? Well, he moves his legs fairly rapid, but <laughs> <laughs> I've already been uh, told that I have to train him to make sure that he uh, he makes a showing on the football field. So he's in a good environment for outdoor activities. His mum um, and dad they live in Singapore. For those who don't know, and uh, I was there for a month or so. Um, seeing the well, I didn't see the actual birth, but I, I saw him the day after and uh, spent all my time with him as much time as I could while I was out there. It was fabulous. Yeah. Brilliant. You may Brilliant. see you may see on your screen some messages coming through as they're happening absolutely live. Okay, yeah. Because we are live on on Facebook, uh, and already the the comments are coming through. Good evening. Excuse me. I'm at dinner. Uh, good evening, Sir Steve. Says, uh, Graham, Paul's out there, uh, Lee's out there, Charlie, Mark Willis is out there. Guys, good evening and welcome to the show. Don't forget to tune into all our socials on Twitter, on Instagram, obviously our Facebook page. You can find us on our YouTube channel and redandbluereview.co.uk. Um, I think we'll kick off with a bit of a review, if you don't mind, to Ian and uh, Wikipedia, Ian. Go for yeah, it. Yeah, well, we, we couldn't have Steve in the room with us and on a live show without giving you this introduction from Wikipedia. So uh, if you put in, uh, you Google Crystal Palace Football Club Managers, um, the homepage, this is what it comes up with, Steve. The most successful manager of Crystal Palace is Steve Coppel, who during his 13-year reign as manager, took the club to an FA Cup final, third place in the top flight, won the ZDS, and were also twice second-tier playoff winners. He's also the club's second longest-serving manager, presiding over a total of 500 and 65 games from 1984 to 2000 during four spells in charge. And in 2005, Steve was voted as the manager of Palace's Centenary Eleven. That's quite an accolade, Steve, isn't it? Well, there was a fair old investment of time in that as well. You know, it, it, you talk about the number of years, but also the time invested in those years. And I was lucky. I, you know, I always make reference to Ron. Um, Carissa. Yeah, Ron knows, of course, German. You know, it, it was uh, a passion for both of us. So we spent our time up and down motorways looking for players. At the time, you wished you had money, but you didn't have to do it. Yeah. Now, looking back, you know, I'm grateful I did do it because I learned so much in this company for so long about, you know, how to run a football club, how to deal with people, how to do so many things. And yeah. You know, we we were tight for a, a lot of years. And I think that's such a, a vital ingredient of a successful club that 
the relationship between the owner, the chairman, the person who makes the big decisions in a club has got to be very, very close to the, the manager who makes the decisions down to the playing staff. I think, you know, they've got to definitely be on the same page with the same ambition, the same drive. If there is some kind of parting of the ways, it's reflected in the football club. And you look at now, it's, there are so many clubs, certainly in the Premier League, where they're all under the microscope. You look at the clubs and you look at some teams and you think, why aren't they successful? And inevitably, the reason is because there are various divides within the, the, the management process, the decision-making process. And other clubs are, are successful because there is a tightness, there is a unity, there is something which makes them a little bit unique. Can you imagine how successful you would have been as a Crystal Palace manager had you had the funds that are available now to the current managers? Well, again, I don't think it's necessarily the, the funds that make all the difference. You know, I, I mentor a couple of young managers and I speak to them and I, I say to them from day one, the most important thing a manager has to do is recruit. And the recruitment process doesn't just apply to the playing squad, but applies to your staff because there has got to be such a unity within your immediate staff you know, the, the, the physios, the kit men, everyone has got to be on board. Uh, then you get down to the players. Now, you know, I, I always say it's easy to be successful in football. If you've got the most money, you buy the best players, you've got yeah. the best team. Mm. But there are other ways of being successful. And now with the analysis that is at everybody's fingertips, and it's not just about analysis. I still think there is a blend to be had with a practiced eye. You know, if you speak to an analyst now and about the old fogies who go to a game and say, oh, like, he's a top player, mm. but the stats don't back it up, but you still want him in your team. You know, there is that balance to be had between the pure stats and just seeing somebody on the field. You know, it's not just about one, it's not just about the other. So, you know, I think if you can get that balance right, you there are so many rough diamonds to be had. I watch a lot of non-league football now and I see a lot of players who I think they could definitely play top-flight football, but there's something missing. Okay, so how, how does a manager get that? You're almost talking about the, the magic ingredient of getting a, a team together around you to lead a football club? Well, in terms of recruiting players, whenever myself and Ron used to go to games, the first thing we would do, say if we were going to non-league, it happened with um, uh, Stan Collymore. Oh, yeah. We went, went to play, watch him play in non-league. Stafford Rangers? Stafford Rangers, yeah. yeah. We went to see him play at Stafford and we literally went in the, the ground. We didn't go in the posh seats or anything. We just went in. Around us were a num number of Stafford you Rangers ends fans. At half time? No, we didn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> but the Stafford Rangers fans, they told us all about him. You know, we knew everything about him, his family life, his background, you know, what he was like as a person. Because now, again, I go to a lot of non-league games and you see the players, you obviously from the away team more often, 
they will go to their fans at the final whistle and they're almost shaking hands with yeah, everyone. Yeah, because it's like 15, 20, 30 people who will follow their team wherever they go. They go. So if you get to speak to those people, they are the best scouts ever. They are, you know, they know the players, they know the ones who give everything, they know the ones who've got a little bit in reserve and save it for a, a day when, I, you know, maybe a scout's watching. You know, they're the people you need to ask mm. to recruit the best, to get the rough diamonds, you know, to, to pick the, the absolute stars. It's easy. I've got, I've got to tell you that we're not supposed to be on air now for another hour and 20 minutes. And <laughs> we already have so many people on here. Fell in love with Palace, says Simon, uh, thanks to Steve and that 1989 team. Stop watching a film to tune into this. I'm Hello, Steve. <laughs> Hello, Steve, and the voice of Mark Corbett. <laughs> Still remember the ZDF. We're going to come to John Murphy saying about the ZDF. Thank you, Sir Steve. Facebook user says, unbelievable, Jeff. At Steve Coppel, I remember a wait at Tramier Rovers and Ashley Cole stayed to go off the line and we won 2-1. Two, two, and after the, great, after the game, he slung his blazer into the crowd. Great memories. Do you remember that? <laughs> I'm not sure it was the Tramier Rovers game, but I, I, I have a habit of slinging blazers into the crowds. <laughs> in fact, I think at the end of one game, it may have been Tramier Rovers, I can't remember exactly, but I threw a, a coat into the crowd and I made a joke afterwards about... You wanted my coat back? <laughs> no, it's something about... Cold. You know, so, somebody returned my coat, but they nicked the wallet. And then a few days later, I got a letter from an irate per parent saying, well, you know, my son got your coat and he never nicked your wallet. There was no wallet in there. And I'm thinking, I'm trying to be funny, you know, make light, light of something. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, and he's already come back and said, 100% it was sustained. No, no, no. I used to wear, I used to, it wasn't superstition, but I always used to try and wear the same thing. And quite often I'd have like three blazers. So at the end of the season, you know, I'd get the oldest one for the last game. And if and you know, it, it went, and it went, yeah, yeah. That, rotation. You uh, I, I do remember once you're doing it at Selhurst, I think yeah. it's towards the end of your, yeah. your final I think I did it twice at Selhurst. Yeah, yeah. 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 But I, when I was a manager at Reading, um, my eldest son, who may be the, the granddad, he was a college in America. And I used to go and visit him, international breaks. And um, he used to, to shop in America. And again, I used to wear exactly the same blue suit. And I ended up with about five blue suits when I went to America. Brooks Brothers, they had yeah. sales on all the time. <laughs> <laughs> You know, the, the outlet malls and all that, where you get a suit for next to nothing. So I'd pick up, I ended up with about four or five of these suits. And again, on rotation, at the end of the season, bang, the jacket, the yeah. jacket would go yeah. in the crowd, yeah. So so coming back to those early days then, when uh, you first came to Palace, yeah. and uh, Ron employed you in your first managerial role, um, what made you do it? Because you, you know you were a successful player. You, you, you were cut. Your career was cut short by injury, of course. Uh, what made you jump straight into management and, and why Crystal Palace? Well, it, it, the story goes that I had my final operation on my knee, and that would be the third operation in a brief period of time. And when I came out from the anaesthetic on the third operation. Um, I, I, 
had a decent reputation with the surgeon by then and knew him quite well and he just looked at me he said listen Steve if you want to be running around in your 50s and 60s he said you know I don't think you can continue so obviously it broke my heart and yeah. I made the decision to retire 28 I'd had the injury from 26 and when it was announced there was such a wave of sympathy for me and for the next couple of months, I was invited to everything, you know, all kinds of dinners and, you know, people were very, very kind, but it was smothering. It was claustrophobic. And, you know, I'm 28 and I'm thinking, you know, I played United. I'd earned good money, but I hadn't earned top money. When I, when I finished at United, I think I was probably about the fourth or fifth best paid player. And I was on a thousand pounds a week. Wow. Yeah. My brother was a plumber and he was on 300 pounds a week. So yeah. I was earning three and a bit times more than a plumber. If you do the maths now, different it, now. Doesn't, it doesn't really equate. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I, I had some savings, but I didn't have a lot of money. I'm 28. Before I became a player, I'd wanted to be a teacher. And I thought, well, you know, I could take a teacher training course and I Ooh. could be a teacher. But, you know, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. So two months after I retired, I was out almost every night, functions, prize givings, presentations, you know, I was all over the place. And I thought, well, I've got to, I need some peace, stillness to try and decide what I want to do. Mm. And I met a, a Dutch physiotherapist, a gentleman called Richard Smith, ironically. <laughs> and he was a friend of Arnold Muren. And he, he, he examined me one day, he just looked at my knee and he said, listen, he said, I think I can get you playing again. I said, no, no, no. I don't want to be chasing something that's not going to happen. And he said, well, I'll tell you what, I'll do you a deal. He said, come and live with me in Amsterdam for three months. He said, and if I get you back playing again, and I couldn't play in England. I would have had to play in Europe, which sort of suits my mind, my mentality. Yeah. I would have been yeah. happy with that. He said, if I get you back playing again, I'll take 10% of your income for the rest of your footballing career. And at the time, after three surgeries, my leg was like that. There was nothing, mm. no muscle, nothing. So I thought, well, and I wanted to get away to decide what I want to do with the rest of my life. And it, if they happened to be playing football in Holland, Belgium or whatever, I would have thought, well, that's not a bad outcome for mm. me. Mm. So I went and spent three, three months in Amsterdam. I was getting intense treatment literally seven o'clock in the morning till 11 at night some days was this costing you money no it cost me nothing oh wow the gamble was i had to I, had, I, I stayed with richard in his house in amsterdam and i had you know everyday expenditure food and what have you but in terms of you know um somewhere to stay he was covering the cost and i was i'd got he had three clinics in amsterdam and i would go each of his clinics and rotation, depending where he was or the mm. fellow who was treating me. I did three months there. And the day I look forward to more than anything while I was there, a lovely place, Amsterdam, though it is, was a Sunday. I used to go to Dam Square, I'd buy two or three English papers, read all about the football. And at the end of the three months, I wasn't fit enough to play football, but I'm thinking, 
if I've still got a passion to read about football mm. in this way, I've got to let it be known when I get back to England that I'd like to coach or manage. So when I came back, um, you know, I spoke to a few people, I went to a few games, people asked me, and I said, oh, you know, I'd like to go into coaching management. I was half offered a job at Wigan, and then I came down for the Football Writers um, Player yeah, of the Year lunch. Yeah. And by sheer chance, I was in a group of people, and Ron Nodes was there, never met him before in my life. Did you know who he was even? I knew who he was yeah. because somebody had, well, we'd been introduced. Four or five was in a circle and we were just talking. And no great impression either way, I don't think. And he had just appointed Dave Bassett. Mm. Four days later, Dave Bassett walked out and I spoke to my wife and I said, that fellow is going to phone me up and offer me the job. And two or three days later, he phoned me up and he said, would you like to come down to London and talk about the job? So I came down to London and uh, I spoke with him and he offered me the job. And I thought, well, again, karma, this is meant to be. Um, we talked about who my number two would be. Um, he was saying, listen, just have a word with Ian Evans. He's a real good lad. He's a good coach. Yeah. I met with Ian. He's a great lad. Yeah. Fabulous coach. Fabulous coach. He had a bad injury as well, hadn't he? Yeah, he had the bad injury. Um, but, you know, really inventive, bright, funny, funny, funny man. Yeah. Um, and I thought, well, I, I couldn't get a better partner. And I lent so heavily on uh, Big Taff, you know, the first year. We, still in touch with him, incidentally. we, we see each other. Yeah. You know, we don't actually phone each other up. But again, I often say this about football people. If he, you know, I walked out of here and he was walking the other way, we'd stop and have a chat as if we were just coming out of the dressing room. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's, it's a pick-up mentality and it, there is a bond, you know. And I always say I'm forever grateful. And when, it, when Taff left, I thought, I can't do the job without him. He, I'll make sure he gets a copy of this, okay? This recording. <laughs> and he will see what, those words you just said. No, no, Ladies and gentlemen, out of Facebook, Dad, thank you so much for all your. Steve doesn't realise this yet, okay? Because I'm told him, okay, but I'm about to tell him live that we've got a whole, whole list of uh, pre written questions for him, and you're all sending in dozens more, okay? Because they are, go. and they are, they are. We ought to, we ought to cover some of these ones, Steve. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. So uh, one of them was from the real panel. Paul team and he was actually saying out of the current any current player who do you think out of any current player would grace your your own your best Crystal Palace team? The Palace, current Palace player. Oh, current Palace well, player. Well, to be fair, um, I love Zaha. You know, I think and I've, I think I I don't know this, but Dougie Friedman has got an awful lot. I think. Uh, a big role to play in Zaha's development because when he first came into the team he almost used to dribble up his own backside sometimes and yet nobody would moan at him and I think it was when Dougie was in charge and mm -hmm. you know I think Dougie must have said to everybody listen don't get on his back he'll deliver mm -hmm. I'm, I'm only guessing this I don't know oh, whether okay. it's true or not but I used to go and watch games and he it beat three people and then try and beat four and lose it and, and yet nobody give him abuse. Mm. 
and I thought he's done brilliant in terms of the development. I, I maintain now, from a standing start, he beats players better than anybody. We, we all love him to bits, don't we? Absolutely love him to bits. And um, sorry, yesterday, yeah. I actually spoke to him yesterday. Yeah, you nearly, you nearly run into him, did you? In the bus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm talking as close as you are to me now. He was yeah. actually in his Lambo in in South Bourne, <laughs> and, he, and he did a U-turn because he saw that he was about headlong traffic. And I looked at I let out the window and, and spoke to him very briefly for about yeah. two seconds. Yeah, he's, and he just got this big white grin on his face, oh, a bit like yours. Isn't it? I was so pleased for him to win the Premier League Goal of the Month for yeah. uh, February. Yeah, the goal at Norwich. It's the first time he's ever won it. Believe it or not, can you believe no, that's the first time he's ever won it? For a number of years, I think Wilf has been like the standout, obviously for a lot of Palace fans. But now you see emerging players, you see players in the squad, you see a bench with has got punch. You know, at least say you know as a the the, the players now defend mm. real good defenders, uh, the goalkeeper. Um, you know, there, there is such, you know, talent within the squad now mm, mm. that all of a sudden it's a lot more difficult. Obviously, Connor, you know, there are a lot of... Uh, it's it's exciting now, isn't it? I think everyone I agrees. Think, I think anybody that's yeah. connected with yeah. the club is super excited. But yeah. judging by some of this, not as excited as they are to find out that Red and Blue Review have got Steve Cobb with us. <laughs> yeah, so... Um, a question for you from uh, this is from Elves Bell Stanley. Um, <laughs> welcome along, Elves Bell Stanley. Um, Steve, what do you consider you know, the answer this, was the best ever signing you you made? And uh, if you could work with any Palace player, which you sort of answered, uh, who would it be? So you know you've answered the second part of that already. But but who was your best signing? Ian, because he yeah. just yeah. fell into our lap. You know, the Bill Smith, who, who was local non-league manager, who helped us over the years. So many things, you know, a real football person. And he became, you know, a, a big friend uh, of all of us down at Mitcham. And, um, you know, he literally came in and said, oh, we got this young kid training with us. You know, he looks a bit special. Come and take a look. And we did. And he, we never looked back. I might have told you this for the first time we met online over a few months back, but um, I had an Arsenal mate who was a very good friend of mine, a guy called Darren, and he came round my house to apologise for Arsenal signing Ian Wright from Crystal Palace. Um, he was a bit yeah. embarrassed that we started. They started did, you know, did I tell you the story about that? On that, that £2.4 million, pound, Sarah and I just got together, okay, we were living together, and she came downstairs, came down to breakfast one morning, and she said, Oh my God, she actually thought. Somebody in my family had died. She said, what on earth the matter? I said, mm. it's for 2.4 million. Goes on to be a record, record goal scorer of all time. Let, let's, talk, let's ask Steve about that then. How did that move come about to, to lose the best ever signing to Arsenal? Well, you know, you talked on the Wikipedia thing that we'd finished third in the top flight. Mm. And um, it was after that top flight year that Ian came to us. And... and Ian had been brilliant with us. You know, I still maintain the year we got promotion. He signed the contract with us in the October, I think it was. We were 12th in the league at the time. Ooh. And he committed to us when it would have been very easy for him then to Ooh. go. Yeah. Yeah. 
I don't think, I'm not sure what his thought process was at the time, whether he felt he owed us, I, I really don't know. But we were so pleased that he signed for us and that was the impetus for us to get prom promotion that year. And then the next year, obviously, uh, the first year, cup final, mm. and then the year after, we finished third. So we thought we were on that kind of a, yeah. a gradient. And then at the end of that season, Ian came to us and said that he felt he had to go somewhere else to achieve his ambitions. And we're thinking, well, we just finished third in the league. And by all rights, we should have been in Europe. Whether that would have made a difference or not, I don't know. But Ian came to us and we wanted to do, it sounds strange to say this about football now, we wanted to do the honourable thing by him because he'd been more than honourable with us. Mm. So we knew his agent was tight with the Arsenal people. I knew George quite well. You know, George loved him. Um the price, I had not I had nothing to do with that. I, I think that was just something Ron organised. And, you know, we we saw it through. Yeah, yeah. Didn't and, want to. But, you know, he'd been great with us. And it, it wasn't a quid pro quo kind of thing. But we felt as if we thought at that time we were strong enough to not cope with it 100%. But we thought we were buoyant enough to be able to deal with it. Okay, you mentioned about potentially qualifying for Europe. Of course, any side that finishes third in the top flight today are in the Champions League, not just yeah. in Europe. So how disappointed were, were the squad of players not to qualify for Europe that year? And how much of an impact did it have on everyone around the country? Well, because Europe wasn't current as such. We'd been mm. banned for a few years. Yeah, It wasn't on the sort of tip of your tongue and you could feel it. We knew we were sort of getting in there through the back door, as it were. Um, it was on trial. We'd have been a good trial club to go there, mm. to be honest, because, you know, Palace fans would have been brilliant. <laughs> um, you know, travelling around Europe, whoever we played. But because it wasn't in your face every year, um, it wasn't that much of a hole, to be honest. Yeah, You know, it would have been great. And it... It would have been what we deserved, but it just never happened. Yeah, sure. We've got dozens of questions coming through. Yeah. Jason Cadle. Jay, good evening, mate. I hope you're well, buddy. Um, regular on the show, been on the, many times. I think I know the answer to this question that he asks, okay? I'm pretty sure I do. Steve, what is your favourite Palace uh, kit? Oh, my word. <laughs> well, I, I was always wanting the, the Palace kits to get redder. That sounds stupid. <laughs> Would that have been the Man United connection? Well, I like red as a colour. You know, I just think there is something about seeing a dressing room with, with red in there, you know, a lot of it. Um, so I was forever. I loved the sash. That was the one. I thought that's what you'd say. Yeah, the, the, that made Palace unique. But it's not good for sponsors. And remember in you know, for sponsors, when sponsorship was allowed on shirts, they were like just big things that were Been glued. By the kit yeah, <laughs> glued on or stitched on. They were like just on top. So it didn't go well with the sash, but the, the sash made it unique. And I always wanted, I always wanted people to look at a kit and say, oh, it's Palace. 
Red Rose Supermarket in Penge. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, some of our sponsors over the years, you know, they're not really household names, are they? They're, they're just for the people <laughs> in the area. So there we go. Brett, Brett Kemp is here. Steve, you told me 35 years ago, <laughs> you, said, you told me 35 years ago that Mickey Droy was your best ever signing as he kept us up. Is that still the same? Well, I probably said that because Mickey Droy must have been standing behind me. <laughs> <laughs> and I certainly wouldn't want to upset him. Mickey was brilliant. You know, he came to us and everyone said, oh, he's finished. He can't run, he can't do this. But he could talk, he could organise. He didn't have to run because he, he had experience. He could he anticipate, stand there, had to kick it. And to be fair, he was a real good passer. He had a sweet left foot and he could pick people out. So, you know, he, he was great while he was with us and he, he was just realistic. He came, he said, listen, I'll do my very best for as long as I'm here. And that's what he was like. I'm sorry, everybody, I'm upset here. Muxa, I know I did say 7pm initially. I do apologise. <laughs> but yes, we have got Steve Koppel in the house. Gav, good evening. Scott, uh, Jason, I said hello. So, well, there's too many of you out there to say hello to individually, but thank you for joining us on the Sunday evening. Yes, we have got Steve Koppel live and exclusive on the Red and Blue Review. Yeah, okay. So um, let's talk a little bit about the Brighton uh, rivalry, because um, it started long before your time. Oh, yeah. What, what was your take on it when you, when you got to Palace? Well, I, I went to a game at the Goldstone ground and... Ron said to me, he said, oh, it won't get a good reception here. I said, what do you mean? <laughs> he said, well, this is our rival, you know, this is our derby. I said, you're joking. I said, surely it's got to be, I don't know, Millwall or whoever. And he said, no, no, it's, it's, it's difficult to believe. He said, but it is Brighton. But I must admit, whenever we went down to Brighton, they treated us great. But I, I soon realised the intensity of the rivalry. And, you know, some of the games we played against them were, were really intense, you know. And you think of the, the Jerry Ryan game, unfortunately, where he broke his leg. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I think, if anything, um, it, like it's a false rivalry as such, but it's now so intense, and it is intense. Mm -hmm. uh, the bragging rights are very, very important. Yeah, and they're ours at the moment, of course, because they haven't finished below us for a long, long time. And the only season they did finish above us were beating in the playoffs. So, you know, so uh, that's pretty good. Yeah, but it's a good setup there. You yeah. know, that, that, that's what I've got to say. You enjoyed you know, it, I, I, I was there for a year and Tony Bloom was on the board yeah. then. Yeah. And you could just tell, you know, the Bloom family, their association with Brighton has been there for many years. Tony Bloom, a very successful businessman and you know, we're, we're in a very current time where, you know, an owner who's put an awful lot of money into a club is very, very current. Um, and you somehow think, you know, the, some of the foreign investment into clubs, you know, there's a question mark about it. Isn't it great to see an Englishman investing in the club he feels so passionate about? Yeah. You know, from that point of view, I would say it's brilliant. And he, he's built a club. You know, I'll tell you a story about uh, their ground. Um, we used to train at Falmer when I was there in the university uh, training pitches. And uh, one, one, after one training session early on in the year, it was baking hot. So I drove into Falmer and Falmer used to be a beautiful little village. And there was a, there was a pub there. 
So I thought, oh, I'll have a nice pint of lager before I drive home. On the duck pond? I know it's yeah. Coming. So I walked, in, I walked in the pub. I said, I'll have a pint of lager, please. He said, uh, you got to sign that petition. I said, yeah, yeah. What, what's the petition for? <laughs> he said, to stop Brighton building their stadium here. <laughs> I said, I can't sign that. He said, well, you're not having a pint of lager then. We always look at it through the red and blue TV glasses, obviously. Okay? Yeah. But from the other side of it, was the bright, when you were Brighton, oh, I can't stand it, Steve Coppin, Brighton manager. Yeah. When you were Brighton manager, okay, was, could you feel the insane intensity from the Brighton fans against us? Well, when I was Brighton manager, you've got to remember Brighton were hurt. You know, we were playing at uh, the running track. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, it was with the, the, the with. I I, I like with team because it was different. And it was I different. Thought, yeah. I thought teams turning up, getting changed in port cabins, and running track around the pitch. This going to unsettle them. It's an advantage to us, and, and we did all right there. But you know, I I, I look at that and at that period. It meant a lot, obviously, but five and six thousand people. You know, a lot of people had disappeared when they were the Goldstone. There was fifteens, twenties, and the people had disappeared, and um, they weren't at their sort of peak, as it were. When when I took the job, first couple of games, I brought a Brighton side down to Palace. Mm. And a lot of Palace fans were saying, "Oh, you know, you're a traitor, this, that, and the other." It's your second ever game, wasn't it? It, 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 I think it was certainly early on. Yeah, it wasn't the first. But what we was the result, Well, exactly. <laughs> he knows. He ought to know what it is because he's like that. He's an encyclopedia. Well, I came and people were saying, oh, I would say, and, and we were scrambling for our lives." You know, I, I think after eleven games, we had four points, and I took over first game. I think I think it was second game mm -hmm. we played Palace. People were saying, "Oh, you know, the, the, the smells and." We turned up. I think we got beat five one, or was it five nil? Five nil. This was the Andy Johnson hat trick that we that they still sing about, sadly. Yeah, <laughs> twenty quid, sixty six to one. I got that. Thank you, mate. Well, there you go. See every cloud. <laughs> but really again, you know, a bad defeat like that makes you make big decisions, and we we changed the way we played after that. And you know, looking back now. Um, Brighton went to the very last game before they were relegated and for us to in that position to go extend the season that long we did really well. So you're saying that the hammering at Southhurst 5-0 actually did you a favour well, as Brighton in manager? The, in the same way the hammering 9-0 at Anfield yeah, that's true. was a catalyst for big decisions to make yeah. changes. The 5-0 I thought well I, I can't play the way I would like to play yeah. I'm going to have to be more pragmatic and we change our style. We played with the back three then, yeah. which wasn't fashionable. But anyway, it was a, it was a great day for us. But no, no, there you go. Special Steve. agent Koppel. Yeah, I mean, funny you should say that because Steve Mason <laughs> actually said in the chat. I remember, made somebody happy. Remember uh, singing Koppel's going to take you down. He loves Palace, and he did, and they did go down. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. Uh, uh, I mean, the love for you in here is just. It's just, <laughs> you, you have to read these later, Steve, because there are some great comments. Oh, you, you don't do Facebook, do you? No, no. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll Andrew, Andrew Adams is saying uh, about future roles. Well, I think we'll, we'll bypass that one. Uh, Steve, actually, Andrew says again, will Steve ever get a job at the FA? Okay. And does he think the fit and proper test is broken? Um, Interesting question, Andrew. Yeah, yeah. I, I applied for something at the FA, 
uh, this year on the FA Council. And uh, I was told I was too old. So, um, and I, I was upset. I wrote back saying, well, surely in this age of diversity, you can't really say that. Correct. And they say, they came back and said, well, you know, sorry to have to inform you, but we have more than sufficient number of representatives of the over 65s on the FA Council already. But, you know, I, I felt as if I had something to offer. I do, you know, even now, I think I've got something to offer uh, somebody somewhere. Um, and what was the second bit? Uh, is the fit and proper fit and, fit, and fit and proper. I think it's been broken for a long time. You know, it's. I think there has to be more of a a, a dive into uh, people's backgrounds because the outcome of so many of these fit and proper tests has been disaster for so many clubs. Mm -hmm. And it, you know, it's all very well. You know, somebody coming in and um, you know changing a club, but when these people destroy clubs you know you look at Barry and you think how on earth does that club you know go under and, and it was only what um 12 years ago um the Crystal Palace were in that situation yeah when we were in dire straits yeah and, and I think we're quick to forget that we were in administration for 21 months yeah. before Simon came in and uh, you know those were very very difficult times but you know, Ashley Cole, we on earth, mm. Ashley Cole, <laughs> what a tremendous fullback he was, 17, 18 years old. Nick Bettinelli, who was our kit man, when Ashley turned up, he said, he can't be a player. Look at the size of him. And he was, he was nothing. He was absolutely nothing, but what a sensational player. I knew well, he played for England. Much Butter in here has actually seamlessly, he doesn't realise, he's seamlessly dragged us back into the list of questions. He's actually asking, and here we go, because I know we talked about pre-show, Steve, what's your assessment of football in India? Well, it's, it's something I, uh, I don't study, but I follow. Uh, and at the moment, we are at the, the semi-final stage of the Indian Super League. Yep. The last two years, because of COVID, the Indian Super League has been in a bubble in Goa. Goa is a real hotbed for football in, uh, in India because of the Portuguese background. They have three stadiums, I think it is, and they're playing the games in rotation there. Uh, I worked in India for three clubs, uh, Jamshedpur, Kerala, and ATK and three those three clubs are in the the playoffs the final four clubs for this season's tournament um the first round was um Kerala played Jamshedpur Jamshedpur were champions Kerala beat them 1-0 so that's set up very nicely for the second leg yeah. um and in the other semi-final Hyderabad played ATK, Hyderabad, who've been a revelation this year, uh, not a big budget, they've been superb. They beat ATK, who probably got the biggest budget, they beat them 3-1 in the first leg. So, and Mumbai, who were um, the champions and by far the best team uh, last year, missed out on the playoffs this year. They got a, a new young English manager, Des Buckingham, but it didn't really work out that well for them. Could, could you try and... Um compare the Indian League to any level of football in the UK? I would say, well, it's it's changing. The Indian football uh, scene is changing because when I first went there, we had 11 foreigners and you could play any six. Right. 
and you had a squad of 15, 16 Indian players. Now you can only play four foreigners, and I think there's only six allowed in the squad. You can only have four on the pitch at any one time. So they're, they're trying to give more responsibility to the Indian players. Mm. And the Indian players are grasping it, but again, it, the, the football with COVID, it's in a bubble, it's in one place. It's very, very demanding. Mm. COVID is still affecting them. So at some of the big games, some teams, Hyderabad in particular during the season, they were losing three, four, five players because of COVID. Yeah, and yet okay. they still had to play but, but, games. But without COVID, you know, going back to your team, I, I would say, the first, first year I went there, Kerala, with more foreigners, I always said it was like Div 1. Okay. I thought we would have been okay in Div 1. Mm. Uh, now, I really don't know. Steve Constantine was manager of India for many, mm. many years. And he took them below 100 in the world rankings. Right. I don't know where exactly they are at the moment. They're playing in Bahrain, I think, in a couple of weeks' time. In a qualifier? For... Uh, I don't know. I think it's just a friendly. Mm. But, again, India is huge, but mm. there are only little pockets. Mm. Northeast India, they've got a, a lot of Chinese-looking Indians who've got powerful legs mm. and they love the football. And they're real good, strong players. Right. Um, Kolkata because of the British influence again there are two teams traditionally in Kolkata if they mm. played each other there'd be a hundred thousand people in the stadium really they, they love the football in Kolkata and they've got a strong healthy local leagues there and you know they, they'll get good crowds Goa because of the Portuguese influence Kerala my first year in Kerala we were getting 50-odd thousand for imagine, home games. Imagine 100,000 for a League One game. <laughs> Unbelievable. I always say the gate re receipts were probably about £7.50. <laughs> but they, but they watched they watch the, the English Premier League uh, and the Champions League on television fairly religiously, don't they? Over there? They're keen, but you know, not everyone has televisions <laughs> over there. You, know, you do yeah. see big crowds around some venues just watching the football. They know, you know, like anywhere, you see loads mm. of Liverpool shirts, Chelsea shirts yeah. now currently, Man United shirts less so, but, yeah. you know, you see, um, you know, so many people. They're, they're very, Chelsea very key. Going I, think, I, also, I also think it's, uh, I think we mentioned this uh, pre-going live, that it's, it's always staggering me with a nation or a continent, really, as big as that, that not one of them has broken through massively as an international superstar. I'm sure there are, across the American leagues, some South Asian players that are good and strong, but nobody has gone on to superstardom, to the best of my knowledge. No, no. Uh, the, the, what I feel is a really good thing about Indian sports, and not many people would be probably aware of this. To play for India at any sport, you have to be born in India. Yeah. If India now use second, third generation players the way they do the rest of the world does, they'd have a good team because there's a lot of players in Germany and Europe who are second, third generation Indians, but you cannot play for India unless you are born in India. Yeah. That applies to cricket, well, football. That answers the question. Then, hockey. That, that would be one. I, yeah. I, I wasn't aware of that. Yeah, but I, I would have thought by now, certainly... Like the Indian Super League, they call it, the professional league, has been going for eight, nine, ten years. I would have thought somebody would have graduated from that to play 
in leagues around the world. And there have been players who've moved, but they haven't moved well. I'm going to bring this back to Crystal Palace, if I may. Yeah. Is that all right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's good. Yeah, sure. Okay. I think I know what the answer might be to this first question, part of the question, uh, but I'm not so sure about the second part. So, first of all, what was the highlight during your numerous periods as manager of Crystal Palace? And, and secondly, what was the low point during your time managing at Selhurst? So, first of all, the, 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 the best bit, and then the bit that, you know. Um... The best bit, without doubt, for me personally, was the 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 four three game at Villa Park. Mm. I think you know the way that was set up that season, the nine nil, mm. and then a few weeks before we'd been beaten two nil at home. You know, I'd made a mistake in that game. Yeah, that's when Whitey um, went off and broke his leg, wasn't it? I think. No, no, no wasn't no. it not? Um, in that two nil. No, no. It was a game, I think Eddie McGoldrick was down injured mm. and I'd already made my mind up to make a substitution. Mm. And I saw him roll over a few times and thought, he's all right. Yeah. Substitution came uh -huh. on and then I think David West was physio and he said, no, he's not going yeah. to carry on. So we played the last 20 odd minutes with 10 yeah. men. It was my impatience, you know, L plates as a man. So we lost 9-0 away, 2-0 at home. And beating 4 3 in the semi final. Yeah. So that was the highlight. I would say that was definitely the highlight. Um, the low lights, the low moments, there were, there, there were a few. The 9 0, because I took, you know, I bought 20 odd tickets for that game. All my family, friends went. And to be beaten 9 0, um, you know, the ground where I'd spent so much time watching football. Mm. Um, Again, that was a catalyst for change, so it turned out to be a good thing in a stupid kind of way. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think going into administration was, was yeah, that was just super tough. Mm. Well, again, with Mark, <laughs> I remember Mark Goldberg in charge, and it, it was it was going, it was going badly, <laughs> and then. Uh, it was transfer deadline day and I left the office about four o'clock and I had a what I thought was a healthy looking squad and I thought, oof, this will be all right, we can get by with this. And mm. then by midnight, another five players had gone. Oh. So I must admit that night, I'm looking around at the squad we had the next morning and I'm thinking, oh my word, what are we going to do? So remind, remind us who had gone then. Oh, I, I can't even yeah, remember. Okay. But I remember being just so deflated. I'm literally, yeah. I'm at home. I thought, if I'm there, things are going to happen. Mm -hmm. So I'm better off going home out the way. So, and then by the end of the evening, it, it was, well, he's gone as well. Mm -hmm. I so if anyone, if anyone watching, real panel especially, anyone else knows who those five players are, then put it in the chat yeah. and we'll... Uh... And Brett's saying, definitely the best game you've been to. Uh, no, right, you broke your leg at Sellers Park, Barry Venice and Rennington. Uh, I thought that was half the, the pitch across to Hacking. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There we go. There we go. Yeah. Current squad then. Um, you know, we mentioned Wilf. Uh, what a talent he's been. Obviously, he's been at the club a, a long time. What What's your view on some of the players that have joined more recently? Your Michael Elise's. Um, well, at least I had seen at Reading. Um, I thought he was a really good player. I thought when he was signed, I thought that's a good good signing. But. You know, he's come on. I look at him now and he flows. You know, I, I like the way certain players move and he flows. He does. And that's that's always good to see. And he's got that little 
gear change where he can run away from people. Mm. Um, the the two centre backs, you know, again going back to Ian Evans, he always said to me, centre backs learn the trade. You know, by twenty nine, thirty, that's their their peak years. So I look at the two young centre backs, and I think there is so much potential in them, but they're going to make mistakes. Mm. Mm. And I think you've got to accept that young defenders make mistakes in 1v1 situations. You know, they're exposed, not so much yeah. as a goalkeeper, but you, inevitably now. Yeah. Football always comes down to me to a 1v1 confrontation. And centre-backs are exposed. They have to make an awful lot of good, right decisions. And inevitably, young centre-backs are going to make mistakes. So they've got to be handled right because they look at... You know, Anderson's got a great range of pass. You know, they, they they look a good combination. And if they can be kept together for a few years and still have the same hunger and desire they seem to have now, mm. then, you know, all goes very well. well. We talked about Ashley Cole being a fine left-back. What, what about Tarek Mitchell? Yeah, again, he looks, you know, he, he, looks, he, he looks a Palace player. You know, left back was always a problem position for me because I always Richard Pl Shaw played so many games there, right footed left back, mm. and Howard Kendall always liked right footed left backs, and I can never understand why. But with Richard, he was a really good right footed left back. Mm. Mm. Whereas it's you know, he's a good player. He's got pace. He's yeah. a good defender. I mean, again, adds a little bit more going forward than. You know, very, very healthy future. Very healthy future. Good, good, good. good. I mean, I'm going to, I want to stay on the palette subject, if you don't mind, but just let, so let you know, uh, with this and our YouTube channel, that Ben and I had no advertising. There's over in excess of a hundred people sharing the cop all afternoon. Mm -hmm. You're not aware, well, ladies and gentlemen. You are what you are watching the Red and Blue Review, and exclusively we have Steve Couple live on the show this evening on the subject of the current squad and everything that's going on at the club at the moment. What was your feelings on Roy? And what was your feelings on the Vieira appointment? Because, yeah, a safe pair of hands to a gamble, is my, my opinion, but I don't know what yours. No, no, I would, I, I would say that. Um, I loved Roy. I, I, I used mm. to go down there and watch him train. Uh, Ray Lewington, good pal of mine, worked with him for many, many years. Um, you know, I used to go, like Roy, even now, he will be out on the training field every day training his players. He was doing that with Palace. I used to watch him work and think, you know, I, I can only admire this man. Uh, the way he played, sometimes I looked at the way he played and I thought, how does this sometimes get victories? You know, it's, it's so, like it wasn't regimental, but it was almost, everyone knew what they were doing. And they allowed the opposition to have the ball in certain areas, which made it look as if they were always on the back foot. And they were comfortable with the opposition having more possession. And, you know, some of the results that team got, you know, the fact that it wasn't pleasing on the eye. I used to say to all my mates, all my Palace mates, just look at the results. Look where they are in the table. They're not looking over the shoulder. But Mm. You know, for a club like Palace to be in that situation, what, four years? Yeah. I said, you can have nothing but admiration. And the club, you know, I, I know thinks very, very highly of Roy and the role he played in 
establishing the club. Yeah. And then when it came to an end, do you think in big shoes to fill? Were you surprised to see him leave when he did? Uh, no. Um, I didn't have any inside information. Yeah. Don't get me wrong, but I, you know, in in those circumstances, I just felt it was the right time. And I, I don't know why, really. I just felt, you know, there was a... I think it's dangerous for fans to make club decisions, and more and more fans are. Yeah. But when you get that, you can just sense it was the right time to go for both, yeah. for the fans and for Roy. You know, 72, whatever he was when he went, yeah. you think yeah. Roy right off into the sunset. But he loves his football and he's back. Before we come on to Patrick Vieira, then were you surprised to see him come back to the what? No, 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 okay. no. Um, you know, I'd spoke with Roy, uh, Ray, and um, mm. you know, I said, "Is that it?" Then he said, "Well, I think it is, but you never know." Mm. And I know with Roy, he just loves his football. Mm. He loves being out in the training field, even now. Mm. You know, they play today. He'll probably be out in the training field tomorrow. Mm. with his squad of players it, it's something you know i i've got nothing but respect for and he's he's got his own football principles he's not bothered what anyone thinks he knows given the experience he's got over many many uh football jobs that what he does is going to get results mm. you know sooner or later they'll get results and obviously over the years the four years that he was there he did a great job and i don't think anyone would argue with that at all no um so on to patrick vieira um a lot of palace fans were a little bit surprised at the appointment um, yeah. they were expecting somebody with some premier league experience as a manager i mean we didn't get that with patrick he'd managed in america married managed in france um what were your thoughts when he got appointed steve uh well, probably what everyone else was thinking. You're thinking, you know, what's the pedigree? Um, you know, in America, he didn't set the world on fire. In France, he didn't set the world on fire. Um, but very often in those scenarios, um, you know, if the Man City group sees something in you, then it's a competitive field that they have. It's a know? different Man City to when you were there. Yes, be yes. Clear about that. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But they have worldwide operation. Now, they own a team in, in India. Mumbai yeah, yeah. is owned by the Man City yeah, group. Yeah. So, you know, they've got the finger on the pulse of who the emerging and the good coaches are. So much though I thought, well, as such, he's done nothing. Um, you know, I thought if they're, you know, pushing him and if they have pushed him, then they've seen something. So, you know, I... I had an open mind when he came. Um, I thought there was more probability of him being successful than Frank De Boer, because I, you know, I, I told you before, I'd seen Frank and I said, this is too big a change. This squad of players are just not used to yeah. what you want them to yeah. do. Mm. And, you know, Frank said, well, I'm not going to change. They're going to have to change. Whereas, you know, I'd spoke to a few people Paradise about <laughs> Dutch. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Sorry for any Dutch people. <laughs> <laughs> there might be one or two watching, we don't know. Yeah. Well, Dutch people in football, you know, they, they really do think, you know, they invented the game. Ooh. So, and to a certain extent, they did, the Croyd background. Ooh. But, you know, with Patrick, I spoke to a lot of people who sort of knew him as a person and the Ooh. qualities he's got. And, um, you know, now I speak to people and, they say, you know, he's a, he's a terrific bloke and 
he he's come in and the biggest shoes to fill and he's filled them the, the signings have been top quality uh they've been thrown in at the deep end change in style change in shape change in mentality um he didn't really get the points I think even now they might be behind what Roy got last year. Yeah, I think we were called up again. Yeah, just just on parity, yeah. yeah, on parity. So, you know, you could say, well, let's see where it is at the end of the season. But again, grateful, I suppose, that you're not looking over your shoulder to see the chasing pack. So yeah. what it, what he's done, it, it, it's, you know, really positive, positive at this stage. Mm. And... Again, the recruitment. The recruitment has been really good, whether that's Patrick, whether that's Dougie, whether that's Stephen Parrish, whoever's doing it, they made some great signings this year. I hope they can continue for next season because recruitment, you know, when I was manager, I always said, you're looking for two players. And I'm sure now, you know, Palace are out there looking for two players somewhere. Yeah, we, we could probably say where those players are needed <laughs> on the pitch, couldn't we? But we won't probably go down that route, route just now. But yeah, Patrick Vieira exceeded everyone's expectations, probably. Did a fantastic job. Um, changed the personnel, you know, and, and changed the style of play. It's and, the style of play I was interested in. Uh, absolutely. And, you know, how difficult was that for Patrick to have done so well, so quickly, I suppose? Well... I think if he'd been doing it with this, trying to do it with the same players, there would have been kickback. Mm. But there's been, you know, so many changes. You know, so it's maybe easier to it, do you think? Oh yeah, yeah without yeah. doubt. You know, midfield players, the the ones who were playing last season, more malleable. The forwards who've come in, you know, Wilf getting more support, I suppose. You know, when you bring players in, it's it's an acid test. You know, if you can imagine, you've just joined Crystal Palace. It's your first training session. As I always say, you never get a second chance to make a first impression. Yeah, yeah. So the first time you receive the ball, all the other players are looking at you. What's this fella got in the locker? What's his touch like? What's his pace like? When you're doing doggies, when you're passing the ball, it is an acid test. And you look at all the players that have come in they're comfortable receiving the ball. They've got a good touch. They've got a little bit of fire and pace. Mm. You know, if it is Dougie, and I hope it is Dougie, mm. because, you know, he's a constant and he will hopefully, you know, guide the club through the next couple of years in terms of recruitment. Recruitment is still the most 90-odd percent of your success in football. And, and you know, back in the day when you were managing, you had the chairman... Uh, and it was you that was doing that recruitment. You already talked about the miles up and down the miles away. Yeah, John Griffin, who was chief scout, but he yeah. was a taxi driver. He was part-time. Yeah. And he, he did yeah. hundreds and hundreds and of he's, games. He's so different now, isn't it? With, with yeah. someone like Doogie in, in place. Yeah. There were no stats. You know, you couldn't go on a, a website and mm. watch a game in, in Asia somewhere and mm. see players now. Yeah. You know, you don't have to go... You know, ten hours up the motorway to watch somebody. You have to just press a button and watch a game on the telly, yeah. and you can see what's going on. Um, Joan Wells is asking in the chat. Good evening, Joan. I hope you're well. Steve, how often do you go to watch Palace games? And not very often. Um, I've discovered 
um, as I said to you before, I think last time I was on non-league football around here, I go to Chipstead, I go to Merston, I go to Dorking, who are fabulous, by the way. Go along and watch Dorking. They play lovely, lovely football. Um, you know, I, I go just mainly non-league. My son, my youngest son is a Brentford fan, so we go and watch Brentford. Um, so I don't go all the time. He goes all the time. Um, I go to Palace occasionally. Um, you know, my mum lives up north. I go and visit her and slot in a Warrington town game. <laughs> um, so yeah, I don't go to, to many games now. And do you, and do you I, get over overly, no, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, people coming up to you all the time when you do go to Palace games. Do you get any privacy? Uh, well, I, I went to the Stoke game last week and um, I was hosting a few um, friends and the club um, asked me if I would go into Speroni's and say a few words, which I did do, um, which I quite enjoy. You know, the, Jim Cannon was there. He was um, mine hosting Speroni's. So it's good to catch up with him and to, um, you know, just see people passing by. There's a lot of people who are in Speroni's who I remember from when I was managing, who used to be regular supporters. So, you know, it's a bit of a catch-up and, and really good. Thinking about a few, you know, looking at, you, you've seen the stadium recently, and before we went up live on air, we were laughing about with all the millions of pounds sloshing around in the, in the Premier League and Crystal Palace, how poor the uh, after, in the main stand roof was last week against Stoke. What about the infrastructure at Sellers Park? What do you think needs to change at Sellers Park in the next five years? Um, a vision, I suppose. I think when uh, the two American owners came in, there was the feeling then that there would be a new stadium, whether it be at the National Sports Centre or a refurb of Selhurst. You know, that hasn't happened. You know, the expense of doing something like that now is just enormous, isn't it? So um, it would be great. It's not the answer to all the evils in football. Um, you know, the, if you have sometimes the not so good ground, as we talked about Brighton at the with team, you know, it disturbs the opposition. You know, the away dressing room at Sellers isn't the best in the world. Yeah. So, you know, some teams must come there and think, well, you know, I don't want to be squashed in the corner here. You know, it's difficult for the full squad to get changed in there with all the staff that everyone has now. So that sometimes is an advantage, but you know when people are paying really good money and when the skies open up as he did in Stoke <laughs> last week and there's a radius of like five, ten yards where everyone's getting soaked, yeah. that is not acceptable. I completely agree. I mean, yeah. you, and new stand, of course, you, you think that'll ever happen? Will that happen in our lifetime? Well, if Fulham can do it, why can't Palace? Exactly. You yeah. know, I think... It should have been hand in glove with the council. You know, the houses that are around the car park should never have been built. Correct. Mm. You know, that that was a great opportunity to do something significant, to make it more of a community club. And the houses that were built there, you know, it was just, you know, I think Croydon Council have taken enough hammer over recent mm. times to add mm. to their woes, but that shouldn't have happened at the time. Mm. Oh, well, God, hang on, I'm, 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 you've got to see this comment, okay? 
Paul Bristow, who's travelled up from Plymouth today for tomorrow night's game, okay? and he's a regular at Sellers Park, hundreds of miles he does. He said, I'm, I've been watching at my table in a restaurant. <laughs> I've been impressed uh, by the young waitress. Okay. She, she can only be that, she can't be any older than 19, it's relevant. She just asked me, is that Steve Coppel? <laughs> <laughs> Your reputation hit the <laughs> What is it like to have the adulation? I mean, they love this thing, I mean. Yeah. Well, well I, I can honestly say I can walk around more or less anywhere and no one had bugged me. No one had... Apart from not, picking a curry up with Coulston. Well, apart from the, the curry <laughs> at Coulston, yeah. Um, you know, I've got, I go to Merston. I can guarantee no one has recognised me at Merston. Interesting. Chipstead, they know me. Dorking, they know me. But I would say at Merston. And if someone can tell me why it's called the Whiskey Bible, I would appreciate no, that. No, no idea. idea. Um, yeah, I, you have to be a certain age okay, so to remember now. I think it's probably named by the same person that uh, named the Dripping, dripping, dripping and then in uh, Lewis. Lewis or yeah. whatever it was, isn't it? It's Lewis, yeah. 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 Um, you know, we're still in the FA Cup. Yeah. We play Everton at home next weekend in the sixth round, home time. I'm really excited about that. There are so many parallels between 1990 and this year. Um, the fanzine One More Point has had a, um, is rejuvenated recently. I don't know if you remember it going out when you were manager. No, I don't. Oh, okay. But it's, it's the, one of the main Palace fanzines. And Chris Lehman, who, who runs that fanzine, he, he uh, came on the show the other week. And um, apparently there's so many similarities. Third round, 1-0 down, 1-2-1. One, one. Um, fourth round, we were 2-0 up against a team beginning with H in, in blue and white stripes. You know, it was... Stoke. It's, it's, Stoke, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. So um, we think we might get Liverpool in the semi-final. But, but Steve, what I'm about to say is, what do you think our chances are in the FA Cup this year? You've been there, done it with Crystal Palace, almost. Yeah, um, you know. well, it, I had a real sort of love affair kind of thing with the FA Cup when I was a player, when I joined United, I think the first three, four years. I got to the Cup final three times. I thought it was the norm to get to the Cup <laughs> final every year. And our mantra United then was always, you only need to win six games yeah. to win the FA Cup. Now, when I was in Spironis, I asked the people there, I said, can this Palace team win six games on the bounce? And they, yeah, obviously, because they're Palace fans. But had a few drinks realistically, yeah, realistically, <laughs> they are capable of winning six games yeah. on the bounce. Yeah. So when you cut that down now and say, can they win three games? You've got to say, yeah hell of a chance the danger is the sort of um um not expectation because nobody expects it but when, once you start going back and saying well it's the similarities between that season and this season that just now forget it this is one game in isolation can you beat Everton on current form you would say yes without doubt but you've still got to put in the spade work you don't put in the spade work you don't put in the graft and you're going to get dumped because they have too many good players who are match winners individually. Yeah, They've got to be prepared properly, which I'm sure they will be. They've got to be rested and hungry. Yeah, we saw that against Stoke, didn't we, in the fifth round. If we hadn't been on our game, we weren't at our best. But, you know, they gave us a bit of fright, didn't they? You know, one, yeah, yeah. You know. But again, the good thing about this team is, and you know, I think it's very, very important... I can't think of a member of this team who could say, you know, when I was at Arsenal, we used to do this. Yeah. and uh, They're all hungry. 
you know, there's not many of this team have actually achieved a great deal. So they're all hungry to win games, make rep, make new rep, palace rep, reputations, sure. make new history. You know, a couple of sides have been to the cup final wearing palace kits, but nobody's won it. So, you know, I, let's have the hunger, the desire to get there and to achieve. And that would be part of your, your team talk, would it, if you were managing this current squad? Preparing for that cup tie? Well, I think that the modern way of preparing teams, you know, everyone talks now about the process. And I think it's very much that. You know, I always used to say, to certainly towards the, uh, the last couple of years when I managed, today's Monday, we do this. Today's Tuesday, we do this. It doesn't matter who we're playing. Mm. Today's Wednesday, we do this. And there is a process of preparation now. And I'm sure Patrick and, you know, the staff now, you know, every club has so many staff. and defined roles, specialists in those roles, proven that they are better than anyone else in other clubs in those roles. Mm. That's what you need. Again, hungry people. Exactly. So, so, yeah, I mean, I mean, the reality is you're going to need a, a lot of luck for, to go through your run to win up whatever it is, six or seven games. It's yeah. Tommy yeah. Doherty always used to say, if you're going to win the cup, your name's on it from the third round. There's a little things happen in games whereby the ball could have gone bounce one way and gone in the back of the net or bounce the other way and gone for a goal kick. Yeah. yeah, and he always used to say, if your name's on it, you, I'm you gonna know. jump, if you boys who don't mind, I'm gonna jump back because Jason's just asked a question, Jason Cave just asked a question and I and I always like to hear that Steve answer this. Steve, what are your memories of the playoffs and getting promotion in eighty nine? The playoffs in particular? Because I remember is it Blackburn Blackburn and Swindon? Swindon certainly yeah. I remember both of those. Swindon was um, Lou McCarty was obviously my player mate Ooh. and uh, when, when I knew we were playing them I, I'd seen Swindon play so many times and they were direct, direct, direct they were, like we were direct but they were more direct than <laughs> us they, and Lou was a fitness freak you know, never drank he would mm. run, 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 run yeah Happy days. Happy days. Indeed. He, he would, his preparation for football was all about fitness and his team reflected that. His team were very direct. They had some good players. Um, and for us to get through that was, I thought, that's a real significant mountain. And then when we were drew against, when we played uh, Blackburn, uh, we had the advantage, or I thought it was going to be the advantage of playing away first. Mm. And uh, it was all going horribly wrong. And then Eddie scored, I think, to make it 3-1. Mm. And I thought at the time that was significant, really significant. The fact that he's got a goal and it was a scrappy goal and it wasn't good. And I thought, well, we'll never have a better chance. And, uh, you know... It was something else at Sellers, wasn't it? That thirty thousand, yeah, spilling onto the pitch, uh, you know, and you know, to to win it in that extra time, wasn't it? In the end, yeah, that yeah. Was, was three. Well, goals, I like Dave Madden, I you know, I hark back at the beginning of that season. That celebration, I remember it so well. At the beginning of that season, you know, our midfield duo were Andy Gray and Jeff Thomas, and you thought, well, there's there's not a better combination than that. At the end of the season, it was Dave Madden and Alan Pardew. And Dave Madden was just a, a fabulous footballer. He really was. You know, if, he, if he'd never had his knee troubles, 
he would have had a long and very very successful career mm. he knew the game and uh, I'm jumping here because there's so many different comments here yeah. um, do you miss Avelyn Close you won't know where Avelyn Close is but you and I do okay no no uh, Steve and more importantly Scarlet's Nightclub go back go back <laughs> in the day uh, and pop up to the Washington pub for a point oh, the from, from them, Brent yeah I used to go there quite a lot the Watts that's a nice quiet that's called yeah. Uh, I still walk past it. I sometimes go walking around Kenley. It's still a very enjoyable walk. And we're on there today. We're on the aerodrome. We're yeah, yeah, yeah. Brilliant. Does. And uh, don't tell anybody else about that. No, okay, no, no. Out to ourselves. The water, the scarlet. It used to be my my summer after golf Friday nights. Play golf. End up in scarlet. Say no more. Yeah. <laughs> do, you, do you have these Cinderellas in Uh I think I did it once, but. <laughs> There are so many, so many things here. My favourite ever, Crystal Palace manager, probably 20 times it's gone through it by different people. The love for you is, is endless. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, you've given up your Sunday evening watching the Red and Blue Review as you normally do. This guy here, Mr. Cockle, has given up his Sunday evening to spend some quality time with you. Um, I'd like to know from you where you would position the Steve Cockle statue when, when it's built. <laughs> not, not if it's built, when it's built. Well, you, you put up before a photo of me leading the team out at Wembley. Yeah. Can I just say, I still have that suit waiting for the day when Palace have a museum. <laughs> I have kept it in my cupboard for Brilliant. all these years. And it's, it's still there and it still fits me. And I've been thinking, one day Palace will yeah, have a museum. That's the very suit. Yeah. Double-breasted as well, mate. Double-breasted. I remember it's it well. Yeah, Prince of Wales check as well. It, it is, yeah. yeah. When, it, when they come back, that'll be out again, I tell you. Apart from the hair, you don't look any different. You don't look any different. Yeah, well, feel a bit different. Uh, yeah, I, I've kept that all along for the occasion when, when and if it might happen. So maybe if they build a new stand and they make it a super-duper... Um, palace place. About, talk about the stand. What about the facilities? I know, I know you haven't seen this training ground, but it's. What do you think, I mean, in comparison to your days on Tottenham, Beckenham training pitch or whatever it was. There's no yeah, <laughs> comparison. Bishopsford Road. Well, we, we had we had the uh, the wooden structure which was built up off the ground. So sometimes after away games, and had the sort of lino floor, <laughs> and. Uh, after away games, when you were bringing the kit back to the training ground, you know, old Morris Druitt, who was our groundsman and kit man as well, two roles in one. How difficult is that? He, he, he got next to nothing for doing it. Um, him and his wife, Barbara, used, she used to do all the kits. We'd come back, you know, nine, ten o'clock at night from away games. And you would open up and you'd hear the, the scurry of the rats going ah. across the floor. <laughs> And we serve food out of the kitchen now. Sometimes you have to move the uh, the rat poo off the... Uh, <laughs> off, off the uh, Imagine that today. Oh, they, go they, don't, they don't have their form, do they? They don't. They don't. And Peter Prentice used to look after the uh, building. You know, and the pitches there, it was, you know, like a lot of the pitches now you see on the big match, they were just rolled mud Ooh. from October onwards. It was incredible. I've, I've got to get, before, before these roll off screen, I've got to get to them. Uh, Joan says, Joan Wells says, will you wear that suit to Wembley when we get there this year? Okay. On the same subject, Theresa is saying, would you would Steve be coming to Wembley if we get there? I'll go further than that. I'll add to that. Steve, would you come to Wembley as a guest of Red and Blue Review <laughs> if we get to Wembley? 
well, if if it goes to Wembley, I will definitely be there. And the last time at Wembley with Alan Sixteen, yeah. I brought the cup out into the pitch with Sir Alex. So I, I had a, a very privileged position, and mm. I was, uh, you know, obviously for me playing United again, it was uh, another special, special occasion. Well, it won't happen this year. Yeah, and it won't happen this year. Yes. Yeah. yeah, there we go. Wasn't that, the, wasn't that ten minutes before that the Clattenburg Cup? Something like that, yeah. Did you did you witness the Clattenburg cuddle with Sir Alex? Well, um, I saw something at the end of... Uh, we were waiting with the cup beforehand and I saw something. Someone said, oh, have you seen that? And I looked around and it was just probably the separation moment. Yeah. Oh, it's yeah. clever. You know, he didn't get to do what he did without being on top of all the little... Tricks and innuendo. I am concerned that we have taken up far too much mm. of your time. No, I'm all right. I'm all right. Go on. One more from you. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm just going to ask you this question, Steve. We need to wrap this up shortly. Um, well, what's your message for Crystal Palace fans at, at the moment? And and how, how well do you think this team can progress from here? Well, the message would be, I think, hopefully, at the start of something... You know, Palace has always been unique. And to go from unique to special, you obviously need skill, longevity. And hopefully this is part of that progression. You know, the signs are really good. You know, I must admit when my team was emerging, the hunger it had, you know, from the captain downwards was significant. They, they were demanding of each other. They weren't just demanding things from the, the coach or the manager. They were demanding of each other if the tempo wasn't right in training on a day, they would have a go at each other. And I sort of get the feeling with this squad, you know, they don't, they don't settle for being where they are in the league. I think mm. they have designs to be a lot better. Yeah. And I, I think they have real potential to do that. But potential in Crystal Palace are things you don't really want to talk about. So <laughs> We've often get, talked about that, haven't we? Yeah. yeah. But this feels a little bit different. You know, I just hope the significant characters uh, share share the desire. Mm. Um, because football now, you know, changes are made all too often for the motives that you don't like to hear about as fans, the money and all this. So, <clears throat> yeah, it, it, good signs at the moment. I hope this season finishes with something significant. It would be great, obviously, Stop. one step at a time. Stop. Yeah. I've got a dodgy heart. Ladies and gentlemen, you just heard Steve Cockle say this feels different, okay? We hope we uh, end the season with something significant. Just so you're aware of one of the comments, Steve Mason in the chat has just said, I just want to say what an unbelievable show. This has made my evening. I've had some issues over the last few days, and this is the first time I've had a glow in me. Because you're on the show. Well, thank well, you very well. much, Stephen. Uh, good luck with going forward. I hope everything sorts itself out for you. I'm going to end in a minute, but before I do, I'm going to, I'm going to let you have the last final words. So, ladies and gentlemen in Facebook land, we will be back on Monday week, Ian. Yeah, Monday week after the cup match. Yeah. After the cup match. I must say, in the background, Nigel, thank you for producing. Ian, thank you for driving an hour to be here. And of course, thank you to our special guest, Steve Cobble. Steve, to finish off the show, a special uh, message for the Palace fans. Anything you like. Oh, <laughs> it 
stay there, I would say. I, uh, I haven't been to Palace for a long time. I went to the cup game and seeing the supporters behind the goal, seeing, you know, it, it's there is a love in there. There is a love. That's all you can say. It's deep and it hurts and it cuts and it bleeds and it's it's everything. And that's the way it should be in football. You know, never lose that because it's what comes from the terraces flows onto the pitch and makes things happen. So let it happen. And if you don't know, talk about the love. There is a mutual love from the fans to you. Thanks, and mate. We yeah. are absolutely appreciate all of your presence this evening. Steve Cobble, thank, thank you very much. Ladies Cheers, and gentlemen, everybody. Facebook land. Good night, everybody. Take care. Yeah. Keep well. Good night. Bye bye. There you go. Push the button, right?